It's time to match a face to the voice. Come to the Dennis and Team Boost Festival to meet the Dental Amigos in person. Friday, May 31st and Saturday, June 1st, Dr. Paul Goodman will be hosting an exciting dentistry event in Center City, Philadelphia, featuring all-stars in the dental industry. You'll have the opportunity to meet and mingle with industry leaders, including Robert Montgomery, Mark Costas, Desiree Yazdan, and more. Learn in a dynamic atmosphere from dentists who are creating innovative procedures and sharing their reliable approaches. Go to dentalnachos.com for more information and to purchase your tickets. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and welcome to another episode of The Dental Amigos, where we're joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. Paul, it's good to see you. It's good to be back after our little uh, holiday hiatus. I know. Yeah, yeah. Break from uh, some dentisting in the real world. It was nice. Cool. And uh, so today we have uh, have a guest, which is great, Uh, Dr. David McConey. Uh, Dr. David McConey graduated from the University of Maryland in 2017. He completed his AEGD residency at East Carolina University, where he largely focused on developing skills in implant placement, surgical extractions, and cosmetic dentistry. Uh, Dave is currently running a practice uh, for a large DSO uh, near Columbia, South Carolina, and has recently begun his own charity-based podcast where he interviews experts in the respective fields and uh, does good things with that. And he makes donations to, uh, to charities for each interview. Uh, so we're happy to have uh, Dave with us today. And without further ado, here's Dave McConey. Welcome, amigo. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Really uh, fun to talk to you, Dave, and we start with some hard-hitting questions. Uh, so if we went to get nachos in uh, South Carolina uh, this weekend, where would we go, and uh, what would our topping be, or what's your favorite topping? Uh, so for me, you know, I'm not too picky about you know what kind of meat is on there, but I'm a huge cheese guy. A lot of my friends know me as just being obsessed with cheese, so any type of meat is fine as long as there's loads of queso on there. Yeah, you and my wife, we get along. Cheese is uh, one of our favorite things, so yeah, it's a... Uh, a staple of the nacho plates. So it sounds fun. I'd like to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, Dave. So, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your uh, your podcast. Uh, as a fellow <laughs> podcaster, it's always fun to have uh, another podcaster uh, with us. Uh, what you do with that, and and uh, how you uh, how you give back with that too. Sure. So, yeah. So, I finished up the residency this past summer, and now that I wasn't having to study and you know be in class. Um, I I just thought, what's a good way to use some of my time? And I've been into fitness since I was probably about 10 to 12 years old. So as you obviously know, the podcast has gotten really big lately. And I I watch a lot of like Joe Rogan, uh, people like that. And so I just thought the idea was really cool. But I didn't want to do it. You know, certainly I don't do it like for income or anything like that. So I thought like, what's a good way that I could make it worth it? We we haven't figured out how to make any money off it either. It's a a hobby, right? It's a passion (laughs) project. Yeah, Yeah, right, right. (laughs) And, you know, so I figured if it doesn't go anywhere, what's the way that could be worth it? And I thought I'll at least have it so I can donate to charity for everyone. And so any guests I have on, 
I ask them what charity they stand behind, and then I'll make a personal donation. And then hopefully, you know, the people who watch it, they'll see it and they'll like the idea and they'll make a donation too. And, you know, it's not like the, uh, the content really isn't about the charity. It's kind of like during the intro, we mention it. And then we get on to things like fitness and health and, and, you know, things that a lot of people are really interested in. But the charity aspect is kind of just a gentle reminder for people watching. Um, and that's called the Brains and Gains podcast. That's on YouTube. And, you know, I'm on Instagram as well, just under my name, Dave McConey. Nice. Yeah, that's a great message. And uh, uh, if I'm on, uh, the chair will be the Paul Goodman Nacho Fund. No, just joking. But, you know. <laughs> the, 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 the anti-fitness yeah, 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 uh, yes, right, version? Right so tell me, what kind of stuff do you talk about on the podcast, though? So right now, it's been a lot of PhDs in the field, um, some medical doctors as well. So like I said, exercise science has been a huge passion of mine, um, some dietitians as well. And just really, you know, um, different aspects. So some powerlifters, some bodybuilders. I'm um, just talking about the ways to reach your goals. But, you know, I, like I said, with my interest being very varied for a while there, uh, I bring on people from different areas, but mostly for fitness goals. And I, I think eventually I'll probably branch out to like life success as well. But for the most part now, it's health and fitness related. That's really cool. So your audience, I assume just by virtue of the fact you're a dentist, you have some dentists to listen, but you go beyond the uh, the dental world with uh, with your show. Right. Yeah. And I like that I have, you know, two different aspects because I know some people who love dentistry and it's their entire life. And I obviously like it, but, um, I think if I was doing dentistry 24 seven and I didn't have another outlet, it would get to me. And at the same time, if I was just doing health and fitness stuff and I was a trainer 24 seven, it would get to me as well. So I like that I can kind of have those two separate areas. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I always find too that I think it's important to kind of go outside of your your usual realm and and talk to some different people and kind of be involved in some different things. It brings uh, uh, a new perspective to uh, to what you do. I mean, a lot of the the people that we've had on the show, the most successful people, you know, the Mark Costas's of the world uh, and some of our other guests, you know, Gary Takis, they they kind of came to where they are now through uh, through a path that wasn't sort of just following in line and doing what everybody else does. And they kind of bring other life experiences and world experiences and business experiences to their their dental world. And, you know, they're the really the, the leaders in a lot of respects in the industry. And I think, you know, it's kind of, it, it's hard if, if you're not bringing in uh, fresh ideas from other places, uh, it's hard to see how you kind of can kind of carve out a, a meaningful niche for yourself in the dental world too. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it seems like some of the most successful people, they have other avenues that they're successful as well, not just necessarily one place. I yeah. think it's, I totally agree. And also, I, I was mentioning this on one of the groups the other day that some of my most important coaches have been totally non-dental or trainers in our office. And a lot of times uh, I got those coaches or trainers by just good timing, which is another word for just being lucky. But I encourage young dentists, you know, when they're asking about, you know, who to get as a consultant, practice management, anything to, you know, seek outside of the dental world uh, for different perspectives. Rob's helped me uh, with that a lot and listen to different, you know, podcasts like Tim Ferriss and things like that. So I think it's an important message for dentists. So I think what you're doing is great. Hey, so tell yeah, us yeah, too, sure. you know, Dave, I mean, I, I think also, you know, one of the things that I, you know, personally am, am working on myself and in and, and my office and something that we're, we're starting to get more involved in on this podcast is just really the importance of taking care of yourself, you know, and, and we're all in, you know, stressful professions where it's really easy to kind of uh, just forget about, you know, your health, your well-being from a, from a mental health standpoint and from a, a physical health standpoint. And, 
you know, it's uh, the profession of dentistry is very uh, demanding from a, a stress standpoint and from a physical standpoint. So if you can maybe talk to our listeners a little bit about kind of how th- that, uh, how you use this, uh, the exercise component and how that, uh, how that ties into your, uh, your practice of the profession. Sure. Well, yeah, especially, you know, as you said, as dentists, we're constantly hunched over. Um, it can be very stressful. We're going, we're getting up, sitting down, getting up, sitting down. And so, I mean, it's very clear from pretty much every study on the matter that exercise helps with joint pain. Uh, it helps with longevity, things like that. And consistently the people, you know, you have some people who say, oh, you know, they have an, an issue with their knee, let's say. And so they just rest. And a lot of times they'll find that the longer they rest, the worse it gets. And that the actual activity is what helps them because you're getting blood flow, things like that. And, you know, that applies obviously not just with dentists, but any, uh, any stressful job you have. And so um, for people who, I, I find that people who end up being inactive, which is very common, you know, after you get out of school and out of, you know, sports, people just kind of tend to get lazier. Um, it just, it seems to like age you. And, you know, I know people who are in their fifties who have been maybe either bodybuilding or maybe not taking it as seriously, but have always been active. And there's just a huge difference in not just how they look physically, but in their productivity in life, um, in their mindset, you know, obviously I think it's, it's pretty well known now that exercise helps for depression. Um, so, you know, a lot of times people get stuck in their office, they're there 50 plus hours a week, um, exercise and being out in the sun are both very helpful for depression and uh, mindset in general. So I think just for overall health, it, you got to stay active in some way. It doesn't have to be in the gym, um, but, you know, some way keeping yourself active. I like to butt in. That's a great, great uh, point. And also, Rob said we have stress, stressful, uh, pr- we have stressful professions, but we also have, you know, uh, stressful positions we put ourselves into, you know, being hunched over a patient. But additionally, what I found is being this medium age practice owner, you know, I just flew uh, to Portland for an ASDA event, which was great. But, you know, everyone knows the experience of sitting on a plane. So I just want to share with Rob so he can understand what being a dentist is like. It's like being in the middle seat of a plane. And the person next to you is kind of mildly annoyed at you the whole time. And when they get up, someone sits down who's also mildly annoyed. So the stressful position is not only just being hunched over. It's also just being in someone else's personal space for your profession all day long uh, who doesn't want to be there. And it's just a lot to deal with. And I think exercise and being in shape uh, just, just helps you deal with that. Yeah, I think also it's nice to just have something else to just do in the course of your day. Yeah. You know, like if, if all you do is is do dentistry, think about dentistry, manage your practice, and then you go home after you know, doing 12 hours of that, you know, you're probably not that interesting of a person to be around. Yeah, you know, true. it's just, it just, you need that little break where it's like, hey, you know what, uh, today, I, you know, you think about your day or what you're going to do or reflect on what you've done. And, you know, I ran five miles, I, I swam 3000 meters, I lifted this, like, it just gives you something else to kind of focus on. And, you know, I think it's, which is a healthy thing. I mean, if all you ever do is just obsess over the the practice of your profession, you know, I I think it's going to be hard to really sustain that over, over the long haul, you know? And I think if a lot of people, if you look at even just to put it from a, uh, uh, an economic or a monetary standpoint, if you're planning on being in the game for a long time, which is kind of what a lot of people want to do, if you're going to make money. Uh, you know, you have to do it in a way that you can actually sustain and, and just, you know, beating your brains against the, you know, in every day, uh, while it may have a, uh, uh, an up, uh, an uptick in the short term, but you're, you're not going to be around 15 years yeah, from true. now if you're still doing that. 
sure. And I just like one other point on that is I think most of the evidence shows that the most product, uh, productive people, they are people who exercise regularly. And I know a lot of people said like they don't have time, but when you exercise, it just seems to be that you, you find a way to get it in and you do become more productive. And I know throughout all four years of dental school, I was in the gym about four days a week. Um, and I was also sleeping about seven to eight hours um, a day too. So it wasn't you know, like I had to barely get any sleep or cut corners in order to go to the gym. I mean, if, if anything, it seemed to allow me to be more productive at other times of the day. Oh, absolutely. And and I think it's, it, it is counterintuitive and it's easy when you're, you know, and you have a family and you have other obligations and business obligations to do that. But, you know, my, my thinking with that is, you know, you just have to make time for yourself. It's important. And, you know, also to schedule it, you know, and if you, you know, it's like, this is what I'm going to do. And this is my time. I'm going to carve that out for an hour, whatever, four days a week and just make that sacred because, again, it's important to the to, to the people around you to, to do that. And it is easy to say I'm too busy. But like you said, Dave, that's been my experience, too, that. No matter how busy you are, uh, if you stop doing that, you're just going to be less productive and then just not have as much time. Sounds like you're getting too much sleep, though, Dave. So I'm going to offer this to you free of charge. I'm going to send my uh, five-month-old down there for a week and, you know, <laughs> see if that disrupts your pattern and all. But uh, We've got a four-month puppy we yeah, can yeah. send that way, too. That too She's yeah, both like of them. Twice yeah, yeah. last night. So, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think I could work out more <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. if, if she weren't more it, sleeping. So. so. That's cool. But yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, and I, I, uh, I'm actually really interested to, uh, to check out the podcast and we'll, we'll talk about the end of the show, but we'll be sure to put the, uh, the link to that in, uh, in our show notes. So, um, Dave, as you know, you are a, uh, an alum of a, uh, an AEG, uh, D program. Uh, Paul is very big as everybody, our yeah. listeners got know, tattoo. anybody that knows tattoo. Paul. It's temporary, but I got a tattoo, GPR tattoo, uh-huh. you know, with the, with the, the, the residency stuff. So, uh, we definitely want to, want to drill down on, on some of the benefits of that from an employee or associate standpoint and an employer standpoint. But before we roll with that, I, I actually am curious, and this is something that I'm not fully aware of, like what is the difference between an AEGD and a GPR? Sure. So, I mean, at least in my experience, the AGD is more university-based and the GPR is generally more hospital-based. Um, so ECU actually had an AGD and a GPR pretty much right next to each other. And, you know, we, we talked with the other residents, so we got a good feel of what they did. Um, they definitely seem to get more surgical experience than us. Um, but for most other things, I would say we got more experience. And so it depends on what you want to do. I think if you're going to work in a hospital, then a GPR makes sense for me. And, you know, the other, you know, the attendings who helped us in the AGD, some of them had done GPRs and they said the same thing that they had learned some cool things in the OR. Um, they had learned a lot of medical management, but it didn't necessarily help them in private practice. And uh, I'm sure, you know, Paul can talk about the GPR and I, I think they're both great. But for me, I was always happy that I did the AGD um, just because it seemed a little bit more applicable to what I would be doing in practice. You know, we had um, a prosthodontist with us who was really good. Um, one guy who wasn't actually a prosthodontist, but he was, you know, he had done a ton of CE in that. Uh, he was really great with the cosmetic stuff. Um, so for me, at least, it, it, the AGD made a little bit more sense. But maybe Paul has a different opinion there. I mean, I think that's a, a great value. One of the I was just listening to a great podcast from Tim Ferriss with the founder of Stripe, and uh, Tim was asking him how he made good decisions. People have told me I'm a, you know, a good decision maker. They come to me for advice on decisions. And what he said really struck home with me is that 
both are good and you set yourself up to make a good decision whether you're doing a GPR or AGD. So I'll describe that like tacos or nachos. We would both like those are good, both good choices. But then you pick one that fits your personality type. And also by doing some real, you know, old fashioned research, whether it's going there, seeing the residents. Uh, one thing I like to point out, and I am a huge proponent of GPRs and AGDs, but just they're just different cultures for each each one, even amongst, you know, different AGDs. So I, I encourage people to really research, go to the programs. But what I wanted to ask you, uh, Dave, because we uh, Facebook has allowed us to connect with so many dentists across the country, which is just great. But dentistry and dental schools have a lot of regional trends to them, right? So I went to Penn, you went to Maryland. Uh, I see on the East Coast, a lot of people do do GPRs, AGDs. I go into the middle of the country. There aren't as many programs. Where, when did you make the decision to do an AGD in your uh, dental school process? Um, pretty much as soon as I found out about them, to be honest, you know, because that was probably, you know, when I really started hearing about them, that was maybe my second or third year as far as looking into the details. And I was just talking to some of the students above me. They were just telling me about the experience they got. And it, it was fine. You know, you, you got the minimum requirements in. Maybe you got a little bit more than that. Um, but just talking with them and then talking with some people in private practice, it just seemed like most people recommended doing one. Um, you know, I think maybe if you have a parent who is in dentistry, it's not as essential, um, but it just seemed consistently people were telling me that more and more people are doing it. And I just wanted to, when I was applying for jobs, I wanted to have that advantage. You know, I didn't want to have to try to explain why I didn't do one and, and act like maybe I could make up for it here and there. I, I just wanted to have that experience that I was more confident going out into the, the real world with it. That's a good point. And since I'm a uh, nacho ordinary person, I had a parent in dentistry and I did a multi-year GPR. So, uh, and my dad was the one who encouraged me to do that. And, you know, I know we'll, we'll talk about different points here, but one of the ones I would just like to point out is that, you know, when you're in a GPR or AGD and to keep with the theme of the gym, you really get to work out uh, dentistry in an environment where you can practice and get training on patients that are there, um, for learning purposes and you, you know, do good work on them, but private practice, as you could probably tell us now being in private practice, uh, the vibe is a lot different than a residency program, right? With the patients. Yeah, hugely. And, you know, as I, I think we mentioned before, I'm the only dentist in this office right now. So there's just no way I could be doing this if I went straight out of school. And I, I think that probably applies to most people out of school. Not everybody, you know, some people would be able to, but um, that residency just hugely helped me to, not only the confidence, but the speed, I mean, I see, it's hard to say how many I specifically see myself, but on the schedule, it's just me and the hygienist. We see probably close to 40 patients a day. And, you know, when you're coming out of school and you're seeing maybe two to four patients and then to jump to that, um, it, it's just not that feasible. So it is very different, as you said. And also just your ability to do certain procedures. You have somebody in your corner, you know, if, if there's maybe a calcified tooth that I want to do endo on, and I have a year of this experience and Adonis, you know, at my side helping me out. Well, then when I see that in private practice or, you know, any, you know, after residency, you're just going to be more comfortable. And sometimes you're still going to have to refer. Um, but, you know, you've done it before. Same thing with like impacted wisdom teeth. You know, I, I do that fairly often now. And that's definitely not something I, I would have been able to do directly out of school. Excellent point. And Rob, you know, I'm, I'm uh, their favorite client. They made me a T-shirt and everything here at the Montgomery Law Firm. But uh, <laughs> getting to know Rob and coming, you know, we're doing the podcast from his office. And I just, you know, for our listeners and for you, Dave, and, and I had embraced this because I was a server for many years. 
So when you're a server, you're a dentist, you're just constantly on stage. There's no such thing as off stage with your clients. So you're working on them. So if things go off script, you know, instead of saying wrong, you really can't plan it out behind the scenes and then go back to the patient where in other professions, you know, you have the opportunity to be away from your clients. So the more practice you can get on patients in an environment that I call, you know, supportive and, uh, you can call someone over and say, hey, could you look at this prep or implant impression or help me with this wisdom tooth extraction? And that's the way it's supposed to be in AAG or GPR. And I have three awesome young associates in my practice, all uh, have done AAGDs or GPRs, because I can't really do that in private practice the same way because the patient will wind up losing confidence in the younger dentist. And that's just, diff- and I was that younger dentist at one point, and it's just a difficult part of our profession. Well, not to mention, too, like, where do you have time for that? I mean, like, (laughs) you're you're running a business now. (laughs) Totally, yes. It's one thing if 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 your job or what your your purpose when you go to, to quote, unquote, work that day is to help young dentists in in a residency program. Uh, But if you're trying to to generate revenue in your practice and you spend your whole day mentoring young dentists, then while it's nice, you're you're probably not going to be in business for real long. I'm glad you brought that up. And Dave, Dave, you're in a unique scenario where you're the only dentist there, uh, which comes with pros and cons. But I work in a group style practice and a lot of the people say, well, I want to have a mentor. But the mentor doesn't have time for mentoring because they're too busy patienting. And you can mentor at the end of the day or you can you can have a quick drive by. But when I worked with my dad for years, we would come into the office together and a lot of times not speak until the end of the day. And it's just because we're both working on our patients and you only really can go and get help if there's sort of a, a major problem going on. So that's why, you know, your point's a good one, Rob, because the mentor is is uh, it cuts into their productivity if they have the mentor uh, during a private practice day. Yeah, I mean, I, I also, I mean, I think that if you think about it from an employer standpoint, uh, you know, the ability to, to hire someone who has had that training so you don't have to be the mentor at that level. Like, yes. I mean, it's, I mean, I love mentoring young lawyers for sure, you know, and, but I, I, I prefer to do it at a higher level, right. you know, yes. and, and if, and if you have to, there's a difference between mentoring and like basic training, yeah, right? Very good. And I would think as an employer, the ability to essentially outsource the basic training part, you know, the heavy yeah. lifting in the early days just from a, an economic standpoint is just worth so much and probably you probably can't quantify it but maybe you can i mean if you have if you have somebody that's fresh out of dental school and that means that you know that day you can do four less procedures because you're going to mentor them i guess you probably can put oh, for sure. a number on that so I, mean, uh, I would ask dave you know tell us some of the procedures you do in a typical day uh at your uh, running your large DSO and, and how some of your AGD training just comes into play on a hour by hour basis. Sure. And, and just real quick, I want to, I would want to caution people when they're applying for jobs or if they're thinking that they can get by without a residency um, because somebody that they're looking into is talking about mentorship because everybody I talked to said that they were going to offer mentorship. And, and oftentimes those are from people who aren't even going to be in the practice. You know, somebody has a group practice. They say, Hey, we want you to be at this one practice by yourself. But you know, there's going to be great mentorship because we have a group chat or there's going to be great mentorship because X, Y, Z. And, and like you said, even when the person is there, it's often hard to get true mentorship, but especially if you're in an office on your own. I mean, even for this DSO, um, you know, I, I've enjoyed my time here so far, but they even said, you know, there's, there's great mentorship. There's always people to talk to. The reality is 95 plus percent of the time I'm on my own. 
And whereas in a residency, they're there to help you. You know, that's why they're in the program. So um, it's just a, a word of caution to people who think they might get just as much mentorship going into practice. Yeah, that's a good point. But and then, and then just, you know, from an employer standpoint, you know, again, it's they got free training. You know, somebody oh, yeah. else trained you. It didn't cost them a dime, you know, and and you're able to do all these things without them having to incur the cost. I mean, Paul, do you even hire associates I would, that haven't I, gone through So what happens is I, I wouldn't uh, for a few reasons. And it. I it's a I would actually clarify this way because I doing all the C that I do I meet awesome dentists who have not done residencies but what the, you know uh, to steal Rob or Dave and I just feel we're fortunate you know we had good awareness of AGDs and GPRs so at Penn we did externships and you obviously were aware of one soon when you got into dental school right you knew there was one that you could do right right there's many dentists Rob and it's actually a little poignant to me that go to dental school for four years pay to be there and they are just totally unaware that these programs exist. And many have said to me, I wish I knew you in dental school. I would have done this. But the, what do you think the issue is, Dave? It's really actually, even now, it's not easy to even find out where the programs are, what the programs are. It's kind of like old school information getting passed around. Why why do you think that is? Man, I couldn't tell you. I think dental schools in general are often a little behind in terms of how information is, is given out. Um, we were lucky enough, you know, we had a Facebook group and I think a lot of dental schools now, most people or most classes, they have a Facebook group, but somebody in my class, they just sent out a big PDF and they, uh, they just listed pretty much every AGD and GPR that was out there. And then for me personally, I just looked at the States that I was willing to go to and I just kept narrowing it down. Um, but certainly not everybody's like that. And there are people who, who don't even consider that was, that was it. That's a nice person. Really sounds, like a, sounds like a Paul Goodman in your class. But now I'm just joking. But that was a good guy <laughs> to do that. On, on, on Dental Nachos, I leave this. There's group, On the Dental Nachos Facebook page, you can pin a post to the top. And I don't know if you've noticed, Dave, you've contributed. The only one that I leave consistently at the top is which GPR AGD did you do? And is it good, mm-hmm. great, or meh? And I leave it there, and I'm just so proud that people are contributing to it because it's just like a laundry list. And, you know, I don't know how this happens in the law profession, Rob, but, you know, when people do internships. But it's, it's to me, a little sad that these dental students aren't getting more awareness so they could say yes or no to a GPR. I think a lot of times they say no by being totally unaware they're out there. Well, it's kind of like the classic academia, you know, yeah. you, you'll come to us. We don't have yeah, to go right, and, yes, you know, exactly. and, and market to you. But I'm curious, guys, hey, do you have a sense of what is the, is there enough supply for the demand? Like, are, are these programs full or is this a situation where, you know, anybody that really wants to do it can, can find one? Oh, wait, Dave, what, how is it now? I can, I know from when I was in school, but how is, what, what would you say? I mean, there's definitely competition I don't know personally anybody who wanted to do a residency who didn't get in anywhere. Um, now, obviously, you know, if you want, we can talk about the different quality of different residencies. You know, not every residency is the same, um, and some are going to be amazing, and, and some are going to be probably not worth your time. But I can't think of any examples that I know where somebody was trying to do a residency and they just couldn't do one. You know, it seems like people could at least get somewhere. There, it's a. I would say being the uh, nacho guy and also doing it, there's not close to enough spots for all the dentists. But the problem has been solved by sort of not all the dentists want to do it. Right. So there's one of the things. What's crazy part about dentistry, and I asked Rob uh, uh, a lot of legal questions uh, along the way because I like to learn about law because I want to be Tom Cruise from A Few Good Men, but that didn't uh, pan out. But mm-hmm. um, you know, certain states require it. 
New York and Delaware are two that come to mind immediately. Right. So one of the reasons I tell dentists is that, you know, your life changes. So if you're on the East Coast, you may want to work in one of those states. So you don't want to have to go back and do one five years out just to get a license there. But if every state did require it, there would not be enough spots. I actually think it would be a good movement day for residency programs to expand and get more spots. But there probably would be a period of time where there just wouldn't be enough for all the dental students that are graduating because there's 6,000 dental students graduating a year. Uh, Let's just say 1,000 do specialty programs or 1,500. I don't think there are 4,500 spots a year for AGDs and GPRs. Sure. Not to mention that, at least for me, one of the benefits of the residency was the personalized time we got. And so if there were twice as many residents, you know, that's obviously going to have to get cut down. Um, Tell me a little bit about what procedures like from your AGD, you know, did you utilize this week or just even just share with our listeners, you know, one of the things I'm excited to have you on about is just sort of a day in the life of a brand new grad. Uh, Tell us some dentisting stuff that people like to hear. Sure. So I would say for me, uh, the bulk of my current practice is um, restorative and uh, surgery. So I'm doing a lot of full mouth extractions and dentures. That's a a big base of what this practice is. Um, A lot of we did actually have an associate under me uh, for the first few months just temporarily. And so once she left, I started doing a lot more fixed work as well. Um, But I would say, you know, on a given day, maybe one to two full mouth extractions, um, a few crowns, endo here and there. Um, and I would say that that is actually the biggest thing I got from my residency that helped because I think most people are probably fine with their restorative work um, outside of, you know, once they come out of dental school. But the endo and the surgery for me was huge. And I, I literally could not be in the position that I'm in if it wasn't for that experience in residency. So just to give an example, um, when I finished at University of Maryland, and one of the things with University of Maryland, it's, it's a great school, but they have every specialty there. And so I think a lot of people know that when you have every specialty, things get referred all the time. So you really can't do third molars extractions in a, as a dental student there because they go to the oral surgery residency. Um, it, you know, finding endo was very hard. I think I did maybe two root canals my entire time in dental school because it just went to the residence. So when I, gained, when I went to my AGD, I probably did about... 30 to 40 uh, root canals, and that was on the lower end. There was a guy who ended up loving endo once he got to the residency, and he did probably closer to 60. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm amazing at endo, but I'm certainly much better. And so when I see a patient, I mean, for the most part, I'll do most of the endo that comes in the door. Um, And then the extraction, same thing. I I had two really good oral surgeons in the residency uh, that made me a lot more confident. And so on a given day, I mean, I could be extracting 50 teeth throughout the entire day. Um, and obviously now I'm much more confident with surgical or even anything but fully impacted. I'll probably still refer fully impacted, um, but partial bony I'll do. Um, and yeah, pretty much almost everything that comes to so the door. So I think that's great. We just pause for you said so many great things I'd like to share with Rob because uh, he helps a lot of people with startups and acquisitions. I do too. So a couple of things is I get questions on Facebook behind the scenes. I say ask on dental notches. So someone just asked me yesterday. Do you know a good endo course I can take hands-on in the real world? And I was like, I do not know one. An AGD (laughs) is one where you're being paid to do CE. So Dave got a chance to do 40 40 root canals 
under guidance in an AGD where he's being paid to do it, where this dentist is looking to pay to do this. And one of the things, we just had this this morning because one of my, someone posted, you know, I wish I did a GPR five years out. I said, can you post that? And a lot of dentists, Dave, say, well, you can just do CE. But I am a CE provider and I teach a lot of CE. But the thing is you can't, it's rare to have it uh, be done on patients. And if it is done on patients, it's just one or two. Like we teach an implant course, my first implant. I love doing it. Uh, but uh, what you said about the surgery was so important because surgery is the foundation of implants. And in a GPR where you do full mouth extractions or AGD, D's like, you know, Rob, when you see clients, I, you know, wanting to do a startup or acquisition, it would even be a good question to ask like, hey, do you do these other procedures? Because those are the procedures that you usually need to do. And the reason for this, Dave, and you would tell, and Rob and our listeners is when you need an extraction, you need it. When you need a root canal, you need it. And you're willing to almost go to any provider who can do it. So old Doc Smith, who did your crown, you'll wait for that. So that's just, an, you know, I just want to take a moment and talk about that. Well, it's important. I mean, and we do. I mean, I, I don't necessarily drill down you know, too deep with that, but I, I see it. And, you yeah. know, the, the people that do the startups that do them well are the people that are able to to keep more uh, work in house, and so a lot of those people, sort of the the extreme juiced up people, are you know the the military dentists. Yeah. You know, those folks have, have the ability to do just about anything that uh, that's going on in that office, which makes it a lot easier, especially uh, from a startup standpoint, but also, yeah, from an acquisition standpoint, if you have the capability to to generate more revenue just based on what's happening in your office. That can only be a good thing. And a lot of times, Paul, I think people look at offices and say, you know, what kind of work are they doing here? What's being referred out? I know that I can actually add value to that because I do these other these other procedures that, that they're not doing. Totally, that's what I do. And Dave, what you said, so I, I was just thinking of one of our uh, Facebook friends when your clients in the Midwest. So what's interesting is, and Dave, you're living it, is dentists will say, I'm doing really well. I'm producing a lot of dentistry. And they say, what are you, what are you doing? And they say surgery, uh, wisdom teeth, endo. Let's just use that, since I love it, as the three-point shots of dentistry. And dentistry teach, dental school teaches you the two-handed set shot. I don't know if you've seen the Sixers recently, Rob, but there are not too many 10-foot two-handed <laughs> set shots. So, you know, that's, that's the new way to produce. And Dental school, like you, Dave said, doesn't really address it, so you, you need to find an avenue to do that. So I appreciate you you uh, sharing that with us. Hey, I'm kind of and curious, far, Dave. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, as far as the cost, I mean, again, this is just my opinion, but I, I think people can be a little short-sighted with that because, yeah, you know, and actually I think, Paul, somebody just posted in the Dental Nachos group like a half an hour before we got started about wishing that they had done a residency, and they're five years out now. Um, but... You know, people look at the cost and they say, well, I might get 50000 for residency, but I could make, let's say, first year out 120 to 150 in private practice. And that, that's true. But, you know, it just reminds me of when I was in, I think, my third or fourth year. And there was a guy who had gone through the military. So they paid for everything. And I was saying, like, oh, man, like, you know, you're so lucky that they paid for all that. You're going to have so much less debt. And he said, yeah, you know, that is true. But if I'm in the military for four years, that's four years further away from owning than I would otherwise be. And, you know, if you actually break down what a, you know, standard military dentist compared to an owner has the potential to make, then I would say the actual net result isn't too different. And when you look at a residency, yeah, you might lose $70,000 that one year, but how much more are you able to produce after that residency for the rest of your career? And, and how much are you saving on CE? You know, I'll probably, I mean, maybe I'll take some endo CE, but I just don't need it nearly as much. You know, same thing with implants. I placed 15 implants during my residency, 
for me to play 15 implants in CE courses would cost, you know, thousands and thousands that's, of that's dollars. That's a $20,000 so. CE course right there. Just that is a, at least a $20,000 CE course being conservative because to place 15 implants under supervision and see what you do. I mean, just that's why, you know, um, I know I'm passionate about it. But that's why I say they're actually paying you to do CE. You'd like to do when you leave. You might as well do it before you go out and be able to do, use all these skills, just like you're saying. But even beyond the CE, right. I mean, I think, you know, Dave, what you're saying is true. I mean, I think looking at that and saying, well, I'm going to miss a couple of years uh, of practice ownership because I'm in the military. First off, I think if you're in the military or a residency, you're going to be able to own a practice sooner, flat out. But very much whether you're looking at uh, the economics here uh, over the long haul, have to have to be considered and and those are not as tangible they're they're harder to kind of quantify but most young associates are paid on a percentage of their collections or production which means the more you're able to produce the more money you're going to make so uh and and that could be a very very substantial difference uh and if you're able to to do four cases in a day versus 30 then guess what you're going to make more money if you're able to do 30 but then even from an ownership standpoint if you're thinking about uh doing a startup as we just talked about a few minutes ago it gives you a a broader uh a bigger net to to throw out to to be able to uh to to keep your get your revenue up and then from an acquisition standpoint or an ownership standpoint if you can do things that amount to several hundred thousand dollars a yeah. year more in revenue, then you know, and start looking at two or three hundred thousand dollars. Now start multiplying that by 10, 20 years. Oh, yeah. Now you're talking about real numbers. So, and the fact that look, you know, just because you got out of the military or you got out of a residency doesn't mean you have to wait three or four years or five, whatever the yeah. number is, to to own a practice. You can do it when you're ready, and it empowers you and allows you to do it sooner. I, I would say so. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it might be like the initial ramp up might be a little slower, but the race over the long haul, I mean, I, to me, I don't see how the economics aren't much better. And uh, Dave, you shared so many good points. I just want to say this last thing and I, so when you do a residency, you get to deal with a lot of stuff you might not deal with again, whether it's people getting, you know, punched. We did uh, people who, uh, I was at Einstein in, in uh, Philadelphia. So during so the nice- punched? Yeah, nice weather, people fight outside there. So so we would deal with them and <laughs> they'd come of, in. Because of the dentistry? Uh, yeah, well, they'd or, just be uh, out there and they would be fighting. And well, we were, I was a hospital-based one, a GPR. Right, right. But what's interesting, and you've seen even in AGD is, and this is what I really want to, if we have dental students listening or people thinking about it, it makes dentistry less of a big deal. Because on my 27th birthday, the trainer from my high school called and said a girl was hit in the face with a field hockey stick. Can she come to my office? And he says, pretty bad. And I just said without uh, hesitation, sure, send her over. And I stabilized what was going on. Uh, she had an alveolar fracture. I referred her to a neural surgeon. But if I hadn't had experiences like that, it just would have been a huge deal. So for the dentist, dental students out there, Dave, would you say it's priceless to make things seem like less than a big deal uh, or less of a deal when a crown doesn't fit, let's say, or you don't have a contact that's right when you've dealt with bigger procedures. So I just think, you know, that component of it is something that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but it just makes you feel better or more confident about being a dentist. For sure. Yep. Hey, uh, before we wrap up, and just kind of one other sort of line of questions I'm kind of curious about, too. So we've mentioned a few times throughout the uh, show here that uh, different programs have offered different things. You know, and I think you alluded to, you know, what you should be looking for or looking for those different uh, aspects in the different residency or AEGD 
you know, programs. If you could tell our listeners, uh, what types of things are you looking for? What are some of the differences and kind of what should they be doing from a due diligence standpoint if, if somebody decides that they want to do one of these? So like when they're looking at the residencies, just what aspects they should be looking for? Yeah, I mean, or, you know, how do you compare different residencies? How do you how know which one's one good. is for you? Yeah. And, you know, which, yeah, which ones are good, which ones are appropriate, which are more, uh, you know, tailored to what you think you want to do? Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, for one, you know, if you have an idea of what you're interested in in dental school, look for something that focuses on that, of course. Um, but that might change. As I mentioned, there was that one guy in my residency who liked um, endo a lot, but he came in hating endo like, he didn't want to do it at all and you know just because of the faculty that we had um he loved it and actually he's only in private practice for one year now but he's going to be going back to specialize um so you know keep an open mind but for the most part I, I think we kind of get an idea of things we like um i would say for almost everybody try to find one that offers implants um you know i don't know the numbers in terms of how many currently offer implant training uh but for me that was the biggest aspect of my program you know that and then the endo and oral surgery but if you can find one that covers implants i mean that's just such a huge advantage nowadays um you know even in this entire area that i'm in i'm, I'm one of the only people who i think is really trained aside from the oral surgeon who comes in the office um as far as implants go and if you if you get a chance to talk to the directors like for our program it's actually a little unique our director changed halfway through um just because the previous one was retiring but they had very different personalities and and that can be a factor if you're going to be around that person you know every day uh you hopefully have somebody that you kind of jive with so even as far as the personalities that are in the different programs can matter although i, I think a lot of people you won't not necessarily get to that point until you get to the interviews so i would say it's mostly focused on procedures and then the area you're going to be in, I don't think that's, that's one thing we've really talked about. But, you know, a lot of times people go to a dental school where they can get in. And they, you might want to try a dental school in one state. But if you're going to live in another state, doing a residency in that one year, and, and you know, Paul, you're so big on making connections, which I, I totally agree with. Um, if you can do a residency in an area that you think you're going to live, that allows you a chance to make, you know, a whole year of connections and meet people in practices and, and find connections there where you might want to go afterwards. I mean, that's such a, there's such great value. A couple of things is a, everyone, uh, feels bad for dental students and residents. Cause you know, we think you have a lot of debt and you know, we don't have any money. So, uh, attendings like myself are always willing to figure out a way to get you to see for no cost or a low cost. Right. And at these events, you can meet people in the area. So that's just a, a magical part of it. And as, as we move towards the end, but I did want to ask you, Dave, Tell us just a little bit, because it fits in now with the job finding process and how either your AGD helped you with that, with knowing how to talk to other dentists or just what you were asked during the interviews and or more just about, you know, the kind of the current climate of, you know, finding a job after dental school or after an AGD. Sure. So, you know, um, I was very fortunate in my residency to have, I'll, I'll give him a shout out, Dr. Ben Dyer. Um, he was, you know, one of the people who really helped out in the program. And he had a lot of experience in private practice before. He was in uh, Pittsburgh for a while, and then he was in Charlotte. And you know, I, I don't know if everybody's necessarily going to have access to somebody who was in private practice before, um, but he really helped uh, break down you know, what to look for when you're going into different jobs. He would help people look over contracts. 
Um, Paul, luckily I had, you know, kind of run into you and you I would help me out. Yeah, 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 that's it. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I get him over to Rob uh, along the way. It's a, it's a good precursor, but you only get that. But, but I, yeah. I, 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 I'm sorry, I Rob. It's just like dentists, when dentists <laughs> review legal documents, I, honest to God, nothing, that is never a good thing, you know, even well-intentioned. It, it's what I think, though, Dave, for him is that, uh, it's a good. It's good for someone to put eyes on it. Like I hand out contracts, but get sort of a, you know, a, uh, a, a stamp of is this makes sense or not? Because people will sometimes sign stuff that pigeonholes mm-hmm. them into a thing they want to do. But it, during your interview process, um, was the extra procedures you could do? Do people bring that up? You know, as as a, a selling point for you, or happy that you could offer that in their practices? For sure, yeah. And yeah, just to clarify, it wasn't like he was the only person looking over it. He would oh, kind of like glance over it. But yeah, he, he would recommend a lawyer as well. All right, that's oh, good. good. That's good. Um, we we like him bend down. Good. Take okay, that good. back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. When I was looking at different places, they everyone asked me what procedures I was comfortable with. Um, and, you know, really coming out of dental school, I, I probably would have just said, you know, restorative. Um, that that would have been most of it. Uh, but now I, I pretty much said almost everything. I mean, there aren't too many procedures. I mean, obviously, like there are some very advanced procedures that I won't do. Uh, but I think everywhere I interviewed, they asked me, you know, what procedures are you most comfortable with? What do you like doing? And they all looked favorably on me doing a residency. Um, I, I think that's pretty universal at this point that they, you know, of course, personality and things like that matter. Um, you know, I, I actually don't think <laughs> your grades matter as much. Almost nobody asked me about, you know, what was your GPA or anything like that. Um, but, you know, they look at how you can talk to people and what procedures you're going to be able to bring to the table if they hire you. Awesome. That's great. Cool. Well, you know, Dave, it's been great uh, chatting with you. If, uh, if our um, uh, listeners want to get in touch with you, what's, what's the best way uh, that they can contact you? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I'm in the Dental Notches group. So if somebody just wants to message me through Facebook, that's totally fine. Um, and then I have the, the podcast thing on Instagram. It's just Dave McConey. Um, and if somebody wanted to get my email, if you want, we could put that in the show notes as well. That's fine. Awesome. Thanks. Anything uh, you want to talk about or promote while uh, while you're here? Um, I would just say closing point. I mean, yeah, if anybody wants to check out that podcast, like I said, that's, that's brains and gains. And, you know, it's, it's awesome when people make charity donations. And also a lot of times people will just send me a little update that they made one, which is, is always appreciated. Um, and then I would just say with the residency, one other thing I guess we didn't touch on, and I actually don't know if you guys will agree with this point or not. Um, but for me, it, it actually also helps me not only be more confident afterwards, after the residency, um, but during school, it allowed me to stress out a little bit less. And unfortunately, I, I think most people are just kind of like rushing through their four years of dental school. Um, there was a guy who had like a, a countdown, like little watch <laughs> in the seconds of until graduation. <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's like to me, it's like, man, wow. if you hate dental school that much, it's just I just think it's a, an unfortunate way to spend four years. And, you know, like I said, I was able to work out. I was social. I had a part time job in dental school. Um, I actually enjoyed it. And I think part of that was because I knew, like, yes, I'm going to try in dental school, but I also have this extra year to kind of hone my skills when I'm getting out. So it just, it really just kind of took a lot of stress off, I would say. Yeah, well, that's a great point, Dave. And, you know, just thanks for sharing all this with us and cut, you know, next time I said, give me a prescription for this dad bot. I used to look more like you, but, you know, this is what happened. So I, you've been re motivating <laughs> me to get back to the, back to the gym. I'll just bring my five months old to the gym. I think that's allowed. And uh, uh, thanks for sharing with our listeners and I hope I get the chance to see you in person sometime soon. Yeah, happy to talk, and thanks for having me on, guys. Great. Thanks for taking the time, Dave. And to our listeners, thanks again for listening. And if anybody liked the show, we encourage you to go and uh, 
put a review up on iTunes or Google or however you uh, listen to us. If you don't like the show, you don't need to do it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Review, Say right? something nice. <laughs> Ch- channel my grandmother Baba with a review. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.